Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorum Deo Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And on third Wednesdays, we're reading through the wonderful works of God by Herman Bavink. We're in chapter 19, titled The Holy Spirit. And also today, we have snacks from Kendra Davis. Yeah, thanks, Wednesday Kendra. Conversation listener. She left us some delicious maple leaf cream cookies. It's fall. Maple leaf cookie time. Yeah. It pairs really nice with this coffee Ooh. that I'm drinking. The I leaves like are that. changing and we got leaves on our cookies. <laughs> yes. Thanks, thanks, listeners, for stepping up. Thank you, Kendra. Uh, resident Bovink expert Chris Hemmelman is not on the podcast today. RIP. So you got the rest of us, the B team, talking about Herman Bovink. And, uh, but this chapter is a fun one to talk about. So it's actually going to be an easy and fun conversation because Bovink is writing about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as you listen, I want to ask you a question, listener. Wherever you are right now, running on your treadmill or driving in your car or listening on your headphones or whatever. Are you aware right now of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your soul? Are you experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, communion with the Lord through the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are you aware of the glory and the beauty of the Spirit? Do you experience moments of prayerful worship to the Holy Spirit. That's what Bobink wants to help draw you into as he talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is just to help us more fully appreciate the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit's work and role in our salvation, in our sanctification, in our communion with God. And that's the goal of this chapter. And I want to start with the last line of the chapter. Here's Bobink's summary of everything he has to say. In short, Christ and all his benefits, the love of the Father, and the grace of the Son become our portion only in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What Boving wants to emphasize in this chapter is that it's through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we come to know the benefits of Christ, the love of the Father, the grace of the Son. In my own thinking, and I imagine in yours too, there's a tendency to sort of think in a dichotomized way about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and Bavink wants to just remind us, hey, that God is a triune God. The Spirit's role in the life of the Christian is to bring us into fuller and deeper communion with the Father and the Son. And so if we understand the Spirit's main function in the life of the Christian as fellowship with God, bringing us into communion with God, helping us enjoy Christ and all of his benefits. Really, we're talking here about union with Christ. And what Bavink is going to say, as he does the biblical theology work in this chapter, he's going to say, listen, Jesus, remember, we're coming out of the chapter on the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So Bavink is going to say, listen, when Christ is exalted to the right hand of the Father, the first thing he does is to send the Holy Spirit. And what Bavink wants us to understand as readers of the Bible and as Christians is that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is something Christ wins for us by virtue of his death and resurrection. It's not like, um, it's not like God has like a timeline. He's like, okay, Jesus, thanks. You died and rose from the dead. Now we'll send the Holy Spirit because that's just the next thing on the list. 
Rather, what has happened is Christ has fulfilled his role as the mediator. He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He has been given all the benefits and gifts that come to the servant of God promised in the Old Testament. And now Christ shares all of those benefits, shares that with his people. And that's what the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is. So Bavink wants us to connect the experience that a Christian has of the presence and power and grace of the Holy Spirit as one of the benefits that Christ has purchased for us so that we see the gift of the Spirit connected to the work of Christ and not as just like another thing in the timeline of redemption or in the scope and sweep of redemptive history. In light of that, Bob, I just want to read on 377 this chunk of comments that are very worshipful on the Spirit. Bavink says, The Spirit who is to come will not remain standing outside of them or alongside of them. He's talking there about the disciples or Christians, but will dwell within them. Christ's stay on earth was temporary, but the Spirit whom he will send will never leave them, but will remain with them into eternity. Indeed, Christ himself will come to them again in that spirit. He does not leave them as orphans, but he returns to them and joins himself with them in the spirit in a way with which had been before impossible. Then they will see him again. They will live as he lives. They will acknowledge that Christ is in the Father and they in him and he in them. There, There's a lot of worshipful reflection on the personal work of the spirit here and um, where Boving begins the chapter is just to walk us through what's different between the Old Testament and New Testament when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever read your Bible, you're probably aware that the, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned very much in the Old Testament. You generally have in the prophetic literature things like the Spirit of the Lord was upon me, you know, uh, and, and the prophet speaks a word from God. But you don't, you, you generally have a very sort of um, temporary manifestations of the Spirit throughout the Old Testament. And then as you turn the page to the New Testament, the Spirit's everywhere. We see, especially the book of Acts, we just see the Holy Spirit all over the place. And so Boving wants to say, hey, what's what's changed between the Old and New Testament? And he, he draws our attention to two things. So one is, think about Isaiah 53, and actually that whole section of Isaiah in, in the middle there, where it talks about the servant of the Lord. And um, Boving says, hey, this prophecy that there would there was one coming who would be the servant of the Lord upon whom the Spirit of God would rest. Th- that's the one thing that has changed, is that that was a forward-looking vision of the Old Testament, and then Christ has come, and he is that servant. And so he is the one on whom the Spirit has rested, particularly for the work of salvation, deliverance, redemption. The other thing that he mentions is, if you think about passages like Joel chapter 2, which is then quoted again in Acts, the prophets in the Old Testament look forward to a day when the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. And Boving says what's unique about the Spirit in the Old Testament is if it if the Spirit of God is poured out, it's on a particular person for a particular moment of ministry. So sometimes we see prophets, priests, kings, the Spirit comes upon them for a particular anointing in a particular moment. But never do we have the Spirit poured out on all people. And Joel points to this day in the future when the Spirit of God will be poured out on all of God's people. Remember, he says, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will prophesy, right? You know, and so there's this sense that there's this fullness of pouring out that's yet to come. And then what Boving points us to is, okay, so in Christ, he is the servant of God on whom the Spirit rests, who accomplishes the work that God promised he would accomplish. And then when Christ ascends to heaven, what we see on the day of Pentecost is this pouring out of the Spirit. And he says, if you want to understand what's going on in the book of Acts in chapter 2, what is the day of Pentecost? It's this climactic moment that signifies now that the kingdom of God has come 
that the servant has stepped into his uh, exalted role as a mediator and that this promise of God is being fulfilled, this pouring out of the Spirit. And the beautiful thing about that is now the Spirit of God, therefore, is available to you and I and is active in the church right now in ways that are new and fresh and that are unique to the moment in redemptive history that we live in. And so he wants to point to a couple things. He wants to mention that actually everything we see happening in the church is the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, people have a tendency to focus on the extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit that we see throughout the Bible and throughout church history. But he says what we tend to ignore is the ordinary, everyday, sort of journeyman work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Just through the church, bringing the grace of God into the world through the people of God. And uh, he mentions that, uh, he's talking about the Apostle Paul here, writing to the Corinthians. He says, the Apostle shifts the center of gravity from the temporal and transient revelations of the Spirit to the regular religious and moral work which he continuously accomplishes in the church. He's just saying there's just really normal things, you know, the, the work of moral reformation in the people of God, the work of, you know, pouring out his grace through the preaching of the word and the sacraments. And all these, this is the normal work of the Holy Spirit in the people of God and through the people of God into the world. Now, here's the beautiful thing in Bavink's Trinitarian understanding, you know, the way that he just keeps the Father and the Son and the Spirit together. On page 379, Christ shares himself with the believer through the Spirit. I just think that's a wonderful way of expressing what's happening for the Christian. It's it's not, okay, Jesus is back in heaven and now the Holy Spirit has come and I guess we get to hang out with this third person of the Trinity and one day we'll, you know, the kingdom of God will come in fullness and and we'll see the Son and the Father. But rather, Bavink wants us to understand what's happening is Christ is sharing himself with us through the Spirit. He says, just as God gives him to the world, so Christ gives himself to the church through his Spirit. Yes. Let me read a section from the bottom of page 380 and the top of 381. And if you're a listener, I just want you to think about what does it mean for you to have fellowship with Christ? What does it mean for you to experience communion with Christ? And how is it that the Spirit is the one who brings about that communion by dwelling in you, by connecting you to Christ through faith, and by bringing the benefits of Christ into your life? Here's what Bavink writes. This fellowship with the person of Christ brings with it the sharing in all his blessings and benefits. There is no sharing in the benefits of Christ unless we share in his person. For the benefits are not to be separated from the person. That would, to a certain extent, be conceivable if the benefits which Christ conferred were material goods. A man can give us his money and property without giving us himself. But the benefits which Christ gives are spiritual in kind and are not to be separated from the person of Christ. This treasury of benefits has not been deposited somewhere on earth in the hands, say, of pope or priest or in church or sacrament. It is to be found exclusively in Christ himself. He is that treasury. In him, the Father turns his friendly, gracious face to us, and that is all our salvation. And conversely, There is no fellowship with the person of Christ without sharing in his treasures and benefits. The relationship between the Father and Christ is in this respect, again, the basis and the example of the relationship between Christ and his church. So he's saying when we receive Christ, we receive the person of Christ and all his benefits, and this all becomes ours through the Spirit. And you'll notice 
his sort of distinctive Protestantism here that without without starting fights or arguments, he's just saying, listen, this treasury of benefits that is ours in Christ has not been deposited in the hands of the Pope or priests or in the sacraments. It is in Christ himself. And this is the unique uh, heritage of the Protestant Reformation, whereas the Roman Catholic Church would say, the grace that we receive from God in Jesus Christ is is becomes to us through the sacraments or through the church. So it comes through the priests, through the sacraments, through the Pope, through, you know, the, the church is essentially the conduit through which we are able to receive and access the grace of Christ. The reformers and Bavink in this great Reformation tradition would always say, nope, you immediately and personally receive the benefits of Christ, not through some conduit, but through Christ himself, which is why the reformers emphasize so deeply union with Christ, fellowship with Christ, communion with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. This is what we gain in and through the Spirit of God. Uh, Let me read a little, I know we're reading a lot, but let me read another little section from page 383 um, where he makes this connection. By the Spirit, Christ gives himself to us and gives his benefits to us. The Spirit is called the Holy Spirit precisely because he stands in a particular relationship to the Father and to Christ, and accordingly puts us into a particular relationship with both the Father and the Son. We must not suppose, therefore, that we can ever in any way come into fellowship with the Father and with Christ, except through the Holy Spirit. That's just a profoundly simple thought, and yet I think it's transformative for how we think about what does it mean for us to know and come into fellowship with the Father and the Son? Because in evangelical Christianity, we are so, you know, we put so much emphasis on the gospel, which is good, and on the message of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the the need for repentance and faith, that we tend to think that the way we come into fellowship with Christ is through believing in the gospel. And actually, the way we come into fellowship with Christ is through the Holy Spirit, that what we get when we turn in faith to Christ is we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we receive communion with the Father and the Son. And so it's important for those of us who are prone to emphasize sort of the the message of the gospel, that in our emphasis on the message, we not neglect or minimize the deep and profound and mysterious and wonderful work of the Holy Spirit, that, that it's not our uh, belief that unites us and connects us to Christ, but it is the person of the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus to draw us into fellowship and communion with him. What I hear you saying there, Bob, is that it, I can't just think of my faith in Christ as a cognitive right. thing. Exactly. It's not just the message. The message is important. Right. I can't believe without the message, but right. it is the spirit that, that, that relational. Yes, it's relational. It's and, relational. And using that's what makes like, sense of the message. Yep, he's using language of fellowship communion. These are all relational terms. He's trying to say, this is a, this is a fellowship that you're brought into. This is not just a belief system. Rebirth can take place only through the Holy Spirit. We know that from John three, Bavink mentions that the spirit of the Lord alone works the true spiritual and moral life. Yep. So it's this relational indwelling of the spirit that makes the message come alive. Yes. So I think if you're looking for sort of just a basic introduction to, Hey, how, how should I be sort of seeking and pursuing a greater fellowship with the Holy Spirit? This little chapter in Bavik is a great starting point because he's going to help you understand the uniqueness of the moment we're at in redemptive history, 
the beauty of the Spirit's work and presence, how the Spirit's work is a benefit and a, a thing given to us by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. And it, in not very many pages, he really gives us a full picture and a beautiful and compelling and worshipful picture of the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And I just am so mindful that um, we, we, we just tend to downplay and minimize the presence and the person and the work of the Spirit. Um, maybe that's an overreaction to Pentecostalism where, you know, we're like, well, you know what? Uh, we don't want to be Pentecostals and charismatics or, or, you know, we've seen odd things in that tradition or grandma said that was weird or whatever. And so, you know, let's not go too far down that road. And so there's this overreaction from some of the excesses of some traditions that are more Pentecostal. And, and so we swing over here to, you know, the, the, the joke is instead of the, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's the evangelical right. trinity. It's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And uh, don't say anything about the Spirit. And, and Bavink wants to restore to us, as Calvin did, uh, a rich, worshipful fullness and, and longing and a hunger for the presence and power of the Spirit in our lives. One final contribution Bavink makes in this chapter that I just want to say because evangelicals need this um, is he gives us in, there's a little sentence here on page 382 where he gives us the right way to speak about atonement. And the reason this is important is because um, in some ways of evangelical speaking and singing and preaching, here's, here's what we end up saying. I don't think this is what anybody is trying to say, but here's what we end up saying. The father has a problem with you because you're a sinner. Mm. And so he is justly angry with you. Jesus, thankfully, came to earth and saved you from the father's wrath and now reconciled you to the father. If you think for five minutes about what we're saying when we say that, we're saying the father and the son are at odds with each other. You know, it's like the father needs his wrath to be placated by the son, which now sets two persons of the Trinity at odds with each other. And I have heard this in a thousand different ways, mm -hmm. in a thousand different sermons and messages. There, there's a infelicitous, in, infelicitous way that we communicate, a, a clunky way that we're, we're trying to say something true. But what we end up saying is the Trinity is not of one mind and they're not intent on the same purpose. Here's how Bovink describes atonement. And he's, he's working from 2 Corinthians 5.19, that famous passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about the great exchange, right? Christ uh, reconciling us in his death. Here's what Bavink writes. In Christ, God has laid his wrath aside and placed himself in an attitude of grace toward the world. I just want you to think about how he says that. In Christ, God has laid his wrath aside and placed himself in an attitude of grace towards the world. It's a beautiful way of communicating. What he's saying is he's not saying the father's mad at you. The son needs to come and, you know, make the father happy with you. He's saying in Christ, in the work of Christ, God himself is coming, laying his wrath aside and placing himself in an attitude of grace toward the world. So the initiative is on God's work to come to us in Christ, to deal justly with our sin and to place himself in an attitude of grace toward us. And it's just a, a, a more careful a more biblical and a more theologically rich way of speaking about the atonement. And it's one thing that I just want Christians who 
are listening to this podcast to just do a better job there. And especially preachers, because I think we um, need to have a, a Trinitarian understanding of what's happening in the atonement. And this is one of those places where we can be a little sloppy. Bob, what are some ways that like, you know, going back to father, son, and Holy Bible, what are some (laughs) ways that you practically just in your own, in your own soul, in your own work, your own devotion, or in your own ministry, try to just acknowledge the Holy Spirit? I actually try to pray to the Spirit. Um, You know, when, when I'm asking for anointing uh, for my preaching, when I'm asking for wisdom, uh, so think about one of the ways I've learned to pray is just the things that the Bible speaks of as unique blessings and gifts of the Holy Spirit. I just ask the Spirit for that. So, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I'm often saying, Spirit, would you fill me with your fruit? Spirit, would you anoint me for the work of preaching? Spirit of God, would you come and fill me up for this conversation I need to have where I feel nervous or challenged or angry. And I, I need you, I need your presence to fill me so that I can enter into this in a, in a spirit filled way that honors this person. Um, so one simple avenue that I've tried to practice over the past couple decades is just praying to the spirit and, um, and asking him for what he brings and, and inviting him to fill me up. Um, and it's been a, a rich and beautiful thing. And then I find myself, um, when I experience those manifestations of the spirit, just able to be thankful and worshipful for the ways that he shows up in those moments. Yeah. I do the same thing when I'm meeting with people, I will pray to the spirit with that person. Yeah. Acknowledging that the spirit is the chief counselor, the chief advocate. And I'm also trying to acknowledge even with that person, Hey, it's not me that's going to do anything here. It's a spirit that's going to work in me and in you and among us. And so we need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in us as Christians, if we're both Christians in the room, but we want to invite the presence of the spirit and, and expect the spirit to yeah. move. And uh, I had a seminary professor who just was very richly Trinitarian. And you know, he knew he was talking to a room of future pastors. And so he just, I mean, literally almost every day in this class would just say, be Trinitarian in your prayer, in your preaching. He's like, be robustly Trinitarian. He's like, pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you're leading a church, help your people learn that God is triune. Because he was frustrated that evangelicals tend to have like a very big Jesus, a very small father, and then almost non-existent Holy Spirit. And so, you know, as I, as we brought that to bear on Quorum Deo in the early years, one of the things, you know, Nick Clatterbuck, one of our elders who oversaw liturgy in the early years, found us this song, God the Spirit, that we sing frequently and the reason I love that song is because it is, is a song directed to the Holy Spirit, praising specifically the Spirit for his person and work. And it's just rich. It's a, it's a profoundly theological song. And, and it came out of us tasking our liturgy leaders with like, hey, let's find confessions, professions of faith, songs that are richly Trinitarian. Let's just go do some work to find some Trinitarian songs. And, you know, the best songwriters do that well. Um, some of the not so great songwriters and evangelicalism tend to not do so well there. So we've tried to, in our worship, have a, a robust vision of how to sing to the Holy Spirit, even how to speak to the Holy Spirit, how to pray to the Spirit. So listeners, the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of Jesus's gracious gifts to you as one of his people. And so would you receive that gift? Would you be filled with the Spirit? And would you embrace 
communion and fellowship with the Father and the Son in the Spirit. And if you'd like to ponder those topics more, go get this book and follow Boving's lead here in reflecting on the Spirit. Thanks for listening this week. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in, and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners, so if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, or if you want to send us some snacks, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.